Amen. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter three, finishing up this book tonight. And so, just a reminder of where we are. Uh, Paul is speaking to the Thessalonian church that was under uh, some very intense persecution. Uh, this was a young church that probably, you know, had some issues, like you would expect from any new church or any new Christian. But this was a church that was moving very quickly in the right direction. In fact, they were a great example that uh, you know Paul used them as an example. You know, he boasted of these people. Uh, this church was what anybody would want to see in a church that they were getting started. They're going to want to see new converts in there. They're going to want to see some people in there that uh, you don't want just old relic Christians in there that got their act together. You want to have some new ones in there too, but yet moving in the right direction. So, uh, but at the same time, if you have a lot of new Christians, you know, you're going to be a little concerned when the intense persecution comes because a lot of times they're not ready for that kind of thing and you're afraid they're going to fall out, they're going to give up. And so you can see as we read through First uh, and Second Thessalonians how Paul is just really trying to encourage these people. So he's giving them you know, real instruction. He's giving them all these necessary things that we use, that we get doctrine from today. But there's no doubt you can see it throughout his writings that I think a big motivation for Paul when he wrote these letters, he's like, I just want to encourage these people. I want to make sure they keep going. And I just think that's a, I think that's a fantastic attitude. In fact, I think uh, every pastor should have that attitude with their church. And I think every believer should have that attitude when it comes to a, a convert that you get. Somebody that you get saved, you ought to show special interest in that person. And if, uh, if they uh, choose to start coming to church and following the Lord, man, mentor those people. You know, love those people, encourage them. You see them fighting battles and going through difficulties. I mean, make that your problem too. You know, you know, weep with them, work with them, whatever it takes. You know, we've all needed that at some point in our life. And um, God can use you. In fact, that's one of the reasons you're here. That's one of the reasons we assemble together. Uh, it's so important. And so in this chapter, he's giving his final remarks. And like many of Paul's letters, he often uh, would deal with specific issues or maybe even a specific theme throughout the letter. But then at the closing, a lot of times what he'd do is he'd kind of mention random things as reminders to him. There's this kind of a lot of random instructions. Sometimes he just greets a lot of people. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of it is very personal, you know, to that church. And so that's pretty much what we see going on here. And so in verse one, he says, finally, brethren, so finally or lastly, so he's talked about a lot of things, but he's kind of closing, uh, he's making his closing remarks and there's kind of a closing theme in this chapter we're going to see, see too. And he says, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. And you know what? We should always have that prayer that the Word of God will have free course. That uh, it's okay for us to want that and for us to pray that the Lord keeps it that way in our country for as long as possible where we can just freely preach the Gospel. You know, thank God we can still go soul winning without getting arrested most places. You know, we can still get up, we can preach, we can say pretty much whatever we want and nothing's going to happen to us. Thank God, you know, that the Word of God does have free course. They're trying to censor it, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, we do have a lot of freedom and things are really good here compared to the rest of the world when it comes to getting the Word of God out. And we ought to pray that it stays that way. We ought to, you know, I think we all ought to be willing to go to jail 
But it's okay if you pray, Lord, don't let me go to jail. There's nothing wrong with that, with wanting your freedom, because, I mean, that is going to hinder your gospel if you are locked up, you know, unless you actually get media attention or something. But either way, uh, that ought to be our prayer. You know, there have been many situations in history where that was not the case, where there was great opposition. There have been times where there's been great persecutions. We've had things like the Inquisition. And even in America, even in early America, I mean, there was pretty heavy religious persecution in this country. And I'm glad it's not like that today. I'm very, very thankful for that, and we ought to be thankful for it. And so while we're not looking for conflict, it often comes. And if it isn't being hindered, let's just pray it stays that way. So we should pray that the Word will have... It's okay for you to pray that the Word of God will have free course on Facebook and on YouTube. You know, thank God for those that have been reached through those things. We see attempts to have that censored and stopped. It's, you know, pray that it can keep getting out there. You know, pray that they uh, will change their terms and conditions and, you know, or pray for other platforms to arise where we don't have to worry about that stuff. Why? Because we just want to get the word out. We want to get the gospel out. And that was Paul's prayer back then. And it's, it's our, my prayer today. And so verse three says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. So Paul, he was confident that the Lord would protect them he was confident that God would help them stand fast and endure the persecution they were under. And you know, when you are trying to encourage somebody, it would help if you know you believe in them, if you believe that they can do it, if you believe that God will actually help them. You know, don't have the attitude, man. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to endure this thing. I don't know how God's going to get you through it. No, hey, he's like, I'm confident God's going to help you with this. God's going to establish you. You're going to stand fast. You're going to be able to get through this thing because the truth is, if they have Jesus Christ, if they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, then guess what? They can. The Bible, if it's proved anything to us, it's proved that if we will submit to God, we can do anything. We can defeat any enemy. And if we flop out, if we fall out, it's not because of God, it's because of us. And so we ought to have confidence with people that they can do the right thing and just you know be praying for these people and giving them uh, that word of encouragement. And so verse four says, and we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And, uh, we, and we ought to take a minute to put ourselves, you know, in their place back in that day. Okay. Cause remember, we talked about this a lot more when we were going through first Thessalonians, but we remember in Acts 17 and 18, I believe it is where they, we see that persecution that was going on. And, you know, just imagine, you know, what it would be like in that day when, you know, you had the Jews that were going, stirring things up, stirring the multitudes up, driving Paul, you know, Silas and Timothy, they're driving these guys out of town. You know, there was a tax on the people that remained, the ones that followed them. I mean, that would have been pretty tough back then. You know, Christianity is a very new thing. It's not like they could kind of blend in with all the other churches that were in town, because back then there weren't any other churches in town. They were it when it came to when it came to being Christians. That would have been tough, you know. And so back then, it would be a lot harder to uh, keep tabs on people. And so the Apostle Paul he leaves this place where there's all this persecution going on. He knows this is a young church, but you know he can't he can't watch what's going on. You know he, they don't have social media back then. 
He's not able to watch the live streams of their church services to just, you know, hey, see how everything's going. They don't have that. They got to write letters and who knows how long it would take for those things to get around back then. But it would have been tough. You know, these people too, we need to remember this, they didn't have the completed scriptures back then. They don't, these things aren't written out yet. They're, in fact, they're being written. Paul's sending these things to them. But notice what he says. He says, I'm con- I have, we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. You know, and that would have been tough back then. Because back then too, um, you know, they were mainly led by the Holy Spirit. But anybody could have claimed what they were doing was of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have, well, hey, you know what? Open up your King James Bible. You know, the Second Thessalonians. They didn't have that yet. You know, but at the same time, Paul was still confident they were going to do the right thing. Why? Because they were under the, they were they were following the leadership of the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid a lot of times we're just, uh, you know, we forget about the Holy Ghost. It's like we've got this, you know, book, this wonderful preserved book that's black and white. You know, and so we just, you know, and and we do we put faith in this. But y'all understand too, some of these things in this Bible are spiritually discerned. We do need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit just as bad today as they did back then. But often we kind of forget about that. And we often quench the Holy Spirit because we allow sin in our lives. We allow a lot of other junk in our lives. That's going to affect a lot of things. And, you know, you might be a smart person, have a high IQ and even have a bunch of scripture memorized. But I promise you this, if you're living a wicked life, there's a good chance your understanding of the scripture might get a little cloudy. You better... Uh, rely on the Holy Spirit. And these people, they were doing it back then. And, th- you know, this was impressive. You know, if they would have had other churches back then that were close to them, you know, it, uh, it would have been hard to hold them accountable when they started drifting because, you know, they didn't have the completed scriptures to kind of hold them accountable with. And, you know, and thank God for other churches that we're able to fellowship with today uh, that are, you know, a blessing to us and that kind of help keep us accountable. But ultimately, how are they able to do that? Well, we all have the same book. And so if we drift and it's possible for any of us to drift, we have that help. Back then, all of this would have been so much harder. But yet Paul was still confident that they were going to be able to do this. And this says a lot about these people. So verse five says, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And throughout both first and second Thessalonians, we see constant references to the coming of Christ. And he said, have that patient waiting for Christ. We should be anticipating the return of Christ. And let me tell you something. If you are not anxiously anticipating the return of Christ, one of the main reasons you're probably not is because we're not being persecuted. And the truth is, persecution is what makes us anxious for the coming of Christ, isn't it? You know, we're in June now. And you know, as you see advertisements, you know, promoting Pride Month and all that kind of stuff, you know what it makes? It makes me anticipate the coming of Christ a little bit more. Because I like that part in Revelation 6, you know, where we see stars fall from heaven. We see the wrath of God begin to pour out. We know fire and brimstone is going to fall on that day. And you know, all of us, we love reading the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and we want to see it. We want to, we want to see it again. And we'll get to see it on that day. And he said, that's a bad attitude. I don't think God wrote that stuff in the Bible, you know, to just make us dread, you know. I think, and we're going to be rejoicing in heaven when it's going on. So, 
Uh, if, if, I, if I'm anticipating a little bit, you know, I think that's okay. But more, the more persecution we're under, the more we're going to look forward to this. But the easier things are, the less we're going to think about it. But we ought to always, you know, have that attitude just anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. And even if we're not being persecuted, even if we're being blessed, we ought to just, you know, be wanting it to come anyway. Because we're just anxious to meet the Lord, you know, because we're just anxious to, like they were, I think we talked about this last week, they were anxious to get rid of this sinful flesh. They, they wanted to be like Christ so much, they couldn't wait for His return, so they would actually be like Him because they loved the idea of being righteous and being holy. We don't care about that today. We're all trying to find loopholes in the Bible for how we can, you know, still sin. Ah, that was Old Testament. That was another dispensation. You know, that, that's, that's our attitude today because we love this world so much even though we've been specifically commanded not to do that. That's sad. But verse 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he, which he received of us. Now this is the verse I want us to focus on tonight where we get our text tonight. But what is, you know, what is an appropriate way for us to handle this verse? Because, you know, this is a great verse that we could use and that we could isolate to just preach our traditions, couldn't we? I mean, this is, this is a great verse where, you know, it says uh, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Okay, now pretend that you haven't heard the verses before. Don't look at the verses ahead. Okay, I could talk about whatever I want now, right? But at the same time, I'm supposed to be preaching on 2 Thessalonians 3. So what's 2 Thessalonians 3 talking about specifically? I think this is very important uh, that we understand this. And Because uh, if I wanted, I could just isolate this verse and I could use it to preach our traditions on other people. And I could say, look what Paul said right here. He said, withdraw yourselves from every brother that's not walking after the traditions which ye have received of us. And you know, I could start talking about our traditions. I could start talking about the old paths. I could start name dropping those great heroes of the faith. And man, they roll over in their graves if they could see what's going on in churches today with the purple lights and the skinny jeans and the whole nine yards. I could talk about that. I could use this as a great springboard to start talking about all the, all the trendyisms and all the junk that I hate going on in these other churches. This is out of order. This is all out of order. We're supposed to do things decently and in order. The Bible says withdraw from disorderly. So you know what? These camp meeting people running their laps and doing their cartwheels and you know jumping in the baptistry, that's out of order. We ought to withdraw from these people based on this verse right here. Now, I, I, now most people would fall for that if I you know, were to just isolate this verse. But uh, you know, I could also, this would be a verse we could use to isolate and then go over other things that Paul mentioned in other writings. So, all right, Paul said the traditions which he have received of us. So now what I can do, I could go to other writings that Paul had. I can take principles from those writings and then I can compare them to our traditions and then I can force them on you that way. Okay? Now that might fool a few more people. Okay? Now those of you that, you know, been involved in the preaching classes here, hopefully, you know, you'd see through this kind of stuff. But I see some of y'all smiling because you know people do this. I mean, I, listen, 
especially if you're in the old IFB and you went to a camp meeting or good night, this stuff goes on like crazy. And it's pretty, it's pretty irritating. And it's really irritating too when you hear the verse they use as their springboard and you actually know the full passage. Then you're just, you know, you're just smacking yourself in the head the whole time. It's so frustrating. But at the same time, it is, it's a real tricky way that people could use that to kind of force their traditions on people. But how exactly should we use this verse? Because we can't really assume that we know all the traditions that he was referring to because verse 15 of chapter 2, remember this, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So, we obviously could find out about some traditions that Paul mentioned in his epistles, but what about those ones that he told them in word? We don't know what those are. Right? Unless you have some extra book from the Thessalonians that you know we don't know about, we don't know we don't know for sure exactly what he's talking about there. So we can't just assume that we know all the traditions. And I preach a message about the traditions, and then I just pick all the ones I like and run with that. Can't do that. You know, we can't isolate this verse and then talk about whatever we want. All we've got to do to kind of figure out exactly what he's talking about here is keep reading. Okay? And, and so here's the question we need to ask though. What kind of traditions were these and what were they for? Because again, we're not allowed to just assume that we know, you know, everything Paul was referring to when he mentioned these traditions. So if we're going to figure out and I, you know, get an idea of what those traditions were, we should probably pay attention to the rest of this chapter. And I think we can get some pretty good insight into exactly what he's talking about. And then we can also understand what it means to, you know, walk disorderly, what specifically that he's talking about. So, um, so now look at verse seven. So let's start going through more of these verses. It says in verse seven, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved ourselves not disorderly among you. Okay, now let's not isolate this verse either. Okay, because what was disorderly about what they were doing? You know, was he, when, he, when he said we didn't, you know, walk disorderly among you, is this him saying we weren't running laps during the service? You know, we weren't jumping in the baptistry. Is that what he meant? We weren't speaking in tongues. Is, is that what he's talking about? Well, let's keep reading. Find out. Verse 8. He says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Okay, now we also, we all know verse 10 where it says, if any would not work, neither should he eat. And we like to use that to preach against the welfare people and the lazy bums that are out, you know, good for nothing video gamers out there. You know, we like, we like to talk about those people there. And I think it's okay to take the principle there. And, you know, I'm all for it. You know, if a guy's a lazy, good-for-nothing loser, you know, don't let him eat until he goes and does some work. But at the same time, Paul's talking about something very specific here. I think it's important that we understand what he's saying. And so Paul, what Paul's basically saying here 
was to withdraw yourselves from those who are, I get for lack of a better term, just kind of a drain on the church. For that, from that person that's just kind of a drag, that just drags everyone down, that's just high maintenance, causes trouble, that's hindering the work of the Lord. They're the ones that are always spreading the drama. They're the ones that always have the problems. They're the ones you got to focus all the attention on. They're the ones that's like, you know, if you don't keep them happy, you know, everything's chaos and a mess in the church. And at the end of the day, these people, they're, you know, they're here. They're one of us, but they're not contributing. They're not helping the church. They're actually hindering the church. They're, you know, they're hurting us. And it's not like, too, a, a new believer. We expect a new believer to have some issues. We expect a babe in Christ to act like a babe in Christ. So, you know, just, it, it would be, so the, the truth is, there is an expectation of growth in Christians when they're coming to church. Just like there's an expectation of growth with your children. You know, right now, Hannah, I mean, she's just kind of, you know, when it comes to the production in our family, as far as accomplishing things, getting work done, she's a drain, all right? She is an extra burden. She doesn't contribute anything. She can't go out and work and get a job. She's not providing any income for our house. She does no work around the house. She only creates work. Okay. Now, y'all, y'all look at me like, man, that's terrible. How could you say that? But at the same time, she's a baby. So we get that, don't we? We get that. And, you know, but we're going to work with her. And eventually she'll start to, you know, grow up. She'll be able to do things herself. She'll be able to take herself potty. She'll be able to feed herself. And then pretty soon, you know, she'll be able to contribute. And that's good. That's a blessing. But you know, the, the truth is, you know, we've got, so we've got Hannah on one end, but we've got Abby on the other end who Abby helps take care of the kids. Abby helps with the cooking and the cleaning around the house. And Abby does a lot of work, but imagine if Abby was just as much work as Hannah. Something's wrong now. We've got, we've got a real problem. And so I'm not, I don't want you to think if I talk about some things that people do that are a problem in the church, I don't want you to go pouncing on the wrong people. There are some people we would expect this kind of thing from, but there are some people we do not expect that from. And I think it takes common sense to figure that out. You've been coming to this church for 10 years and you're just still, you know, having some of these problems. I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you're, you're, you know, somebody we should probably withdraw from so uh you know paul paul was telling you need to with you know people that are like that that are just hindering he's saying withdraw these people they're not working they're just busybodies they're here they're in the way they're only creating problems and he's and he's saying here too because you know proof that this isn't just talking about people on welfare after he says if any would not work neither should he eat he goes on and tells them afterwards you know, that, uh, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Hey, if you're not going to contribute, if you're not going to help, you know what? Don't expect us to feed you. Don't expect us to take care of you. You be quiet and go eat your own bread. You go do your own thing. Leave us alone is what he's trying to say. And you know, there are some people, they, they do, they want all the attention in church, but they don't want to contribute anything. They just, they come just expecting everybody to just roll out the red carpet for them, have a, you know, assembly of people waiting to greet them. It's like they want to be announced as they walk in. They sit down. They want the music to be, they want the songs to be all the songs they like. 
You know, oh, Pastor, you know, I don't know why we sang that song. I, I wish we'd sing more of these other songs. It's like, you know, we got a whole bunch of songs in our hymn book. We're, just, we're not going to sing your three favorite ones every week. I'm sorry, you don't get to pick the songs. You know, the song leader picks the songs. You know, uh, I don't like the ones that they pick. I'm sorry. You know, everybody else is fine with it, but you know, it, don't, don't be, you know, just a wet blanket on everything. Ah, uh, you know, Pastor, I, I wish, you know, I don't like a lot of the subject you preach. I think some of the subjects that you preach on are kind of a waste of time. Uh, I think we need to focus a little more time on the reprobate doctrine or something like that, and I'd be a lot happier. Uh, if you did that, I think church would be, uh, better. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, okay, but, you know, the Lord made me the bishop and overseer of this church. You know, I'm supposed to figure out what to preach and follow His lead. I'm always welcome to take suggestions. You know, people have questions, but there's always that person that just wants what they want. Oh, you know, fine. I'll I'll be at church, you know, during the fellowship week. I'll be at church when you're doing the stuff I like. You know, I'll come for the big days. I'll come for the fun stuff. And they just, and then whenever they do come, they're just a wet blanket. They're a pain in the neck. And when we have people like that, you know what? We need to, Withdraw ourselves. When Paul and Silas and Timothy were there, what Paul's saying here is they didn't sit around, you know, like big shots, too. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. This is, you know, this is a big shot, but you know what? He didn't sit around and let everyone wait on them while they were there. You know what he did? He set the example and he went out there and he worked harder than any of them. That was what he did. Why? Because he was trying to set an example. Not as a work ethic for just, you know, a a typical home. No, as a member of a church, as a part of an assembly, he wanted to teach these people that, you know, you need to be a hard worker. You need to contribute. You need to help. And so he was out there. He was doing the work. He wasn't like some big shot pastors who, whenever soul winning time comes, they go and they send their people out on a 90 some degree day to go out and knock doors while he goes and visits one old lady that's in the hospital in the air conditioning. You know, you know what? As a pastor, you ought to be out there in the trenches with them. You ought to be out there leading the charge in these things. You know, you don't go if send. You know, as a pastor, you you shouldn't go send your people to some area where they're likely to get run off, arrested, and while you go to the easy neighborhood where things are going to be safe. You know, you'd be in the front lines, and I'm telling you, it is like this in a lot of churches with a lot of big shots. I mean, you can count on it. When souling time comes, they've always got something else to do. I just think that's a shame. And the Apostle Paul, that wasn't his attitude. They weren't big shots. Everybody saw them working. Everybody saw them doing something and because they didn't want to be chargeable. They wanted to be an example. This was probably something that they noticed when they were there. You know, I, I don't know what that culture was like during that time, but maybe there was a lot of kind of welfare mentality. Maybe there were a lot of freeloaders there. And the Apostle Paul, he didn't want these people that, or maybe two, because one thing that the Gentiles, we know they struggled with, the Bible talks about this, is they always were trying to have all these different ranks and hierarchies and things like that, where Jesus, he taught his disciples, be each other's servant. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And if the Apostle Paul would have went there and he'd have sat around like a big shot and, you know, had a, you know, like a king and, you know, had the royal spot where he would sit for the food and everybody waited on him, then it would have made a lot of other people think, well, I want to rise to that position so I can have that same type of thing too. And the Apostle Paul's like, man, this is how it is in their culture. I got it. I got to set the example. 
as the guy in charge, as the apostle, I'm going to show these people how it's done and I'm going to serve these people. We are going to work hard. We are not going to be a burden. That was probably something that they really, really needed. And so they did. These guys, they set the example and they did. They worked hard and they told them you withdraw from those who didn't. So um, verse 13, after he says all this, he says, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now, said the ministry, it can get tiring sometimes. Staying faithful to a church, staying faithful to a work and the ministry of the church, it does get you tired. And, but, you know, sometimes it's refreshing, but sometimes it's just hard work. But, you know, we can't faint. There's some, you know, there are some days I'll, I'll, I'm anxious to go out so on and, hey, all right, let's go. Let me at them. But there's some days, I'll just admit it, I gotta force myself. There's some days I just gotta, I, I need, I, you know, I, I need, you know, I need you all, and you all give me a kick in the pants by going out too. You know, I, it would be a lot easier for me to just not go if nobody else was going. But you know, we all help each other like that. Cause you know, who wants to just sit around and take an extra nap when you see everybody going out and doing something? But you know, it would be a lot easier for all of you to do that if I was doing that type of thing too. And I, I believe I believe the pastor ought to, ought to set the example in that area. So he's telling them, be not weary in well-doing. And you know what? Just don't faint. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then he goes on and says, as we therefore have therefore opportunity, listen to this, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And this is important too. I preached this message uh, when I was at All Scripture a couple weeks ago about getting involved in the ministry. It was a message I preached here back on our fourth anniversary. But all right, how many of you listen to everything I put on YouTube? All right, you know, Go back and listen to that one. But here, the thing about getting involved in the ministry is most of the time when the Bible's talking about ministry, it's talking about ministering to the brethren. You know, it is, it is a ministry. It is uh, being in the ministry when we go out soul winning and when we're trying to reach the lost. But most of the time in the Bible, when it's talking about the ministry, it's talking about the work of the church and it's talking about ministering to each other. It's talking about ministering to the brethren. And right here in First, Second Thessalonians, he, this is what he's talking about. He's referring to work that's being done in the church. And he's telling them not to be weary in well-doing. He said the exact same thing in Galatians. He said, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then he goes on, talks about doing good unto all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. One thing that we need to do, your attitude needs to be when you come into this church, is not what can I get and just try to be a leech and just a drain on this church. Your attitude ought to be, what can I contribute? How can I minister to the people in this church? How can I make other people more likely to want to come back to this church? How can I encourage people? How can I do something to make people in this church more likely to go out soul winning and to go out and, uh, you know, and to, and to, uh, be a prayer warrior and to, uh, just live a godly life? What can I do to contribute in that area? And that's another subject for another day. But that should be your attitude. What can I do to help what's going on? Liberty Baptist Church is a good church. It's got a good thing going. What can I do to add to that? Not what can I get from this place? 
That can't be the attitude, yet that is the attitude of a lot of people today. And, and again, if it's a new person, don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. But I've seen it over and over again. I, I remember when we first started the church, it used to just drive me crazy because we would have these people that would come and they would visit. And then, they, I mean, and we just told them, we, we just started a church. And then they were like wondering where all the kids' programs were. And it's like, we just started a church. Okay, It was just our family that started the church. We didn't come with a staff and a team like a lot of these people are, are, you know, I get jealous of that have today in a lot of places. And, you know, thank God if you can start a church that way. We didn't have that. But yeah, and then these people, they know we just started, but they're like expecting all these things. And it's like, well, how about, and then they wouldn't want to come. So, well, listen, if you're looking for a church one the, with all these programs, why don't you come and get involved and actually contribute to those programs? Why don't you do something with it? You know, why don't, why don't you have part in it? But many, you know, many people, they want to just come for what they can get out of it. You know, they want to, they want the church with the daycare, you know, that where they can send their kids and, you know, while they sit in service and relax and drink Starbucks. Okay. And they do, they get disappointed when they come in here and, you know, we don't have Starbucks and we don't have the daycare to send their kids to. And it's like, well, what am I even doing here? Okay. Well, listen. We put church on the sign out there. Go read what a church is. It's a place where you come, you worship the Lord. We work together and we serve together. This isn't a restaurant. You know, this isn't a, you know, a store or a lounge or an entertainment center. That's not what we are. But yet people, they're always looking for that thing. I would say that I remember people do that all the time too. When we're out knocking doors, we're like, hey, we're having our grand opening. You know, on September 11th, that we'd be telling everybody, September 11th, having our first service. And they would, first question, what kind of kids program, what kids programs do you have? Do you ha- are you going to have this? Are you going to have that? It's like, we're just going to have preaching. <laughs> we're going to have some preaching. Cause we got a preacher. We're going to have some singing. Hopefully there'll be some singers out there. We got a piano player. You know, thankfully, I, thankfully our church came with a piano player because I married one. And that was, that was a big blessing. But yet people, they just, they had that wrong attitude. They didn't come wanting to serve. And let me tell you something too. If I may just hit another side note. Watch out for these people too that come into church not to serve, but to showcase their talents. Okay? Watch out for that. Now, you know, thank God for the music program that we have at this church. And let me tell you, you know, you know Brother Daniel... You know, he, he came and he's just kind of helped start from scratch and it's amazing what he's done. Okay. We didn't like have a full orchestra ready with professionals just waiting for that guy to direct, you know, and, and where we were giving him a full paycheck. Okay. I mean, he, you know, he pretty much just started with nothing, you know, and as, you know, the Lord's blessed it. All right. You know, thank God for that. But as our music programs gets better, Chances are, too, we might see this at some point. There's going to be that family that shows up that's like, oh, this is the church that has the good music. You know, there are a lot of times they look for the big church, you know, because they want a place where they can go showcase their musical skills, not where they can serve. And I've spotted those people in church. They always are troubled in churches. They're always a pain in the neck. And they will come here. As our church grows... And as our music programs gets better, we're going to have, I'm just doing some prophecy right now, all right? 
There's going to be that family that's going to come in the church and they're going to have all this musical talent and we're going to think, oh, wow, what a blessing. But they're not coming here to be a blessing. They're coming here to showcase themselves. And they're going to be a big pain in the neck. And they're not going to be the kind of people that we want to follow. They are going to be the kind of people that walk disorderly, the kind that we need to walk from. And one thing you got to learn too, and one thing I know Brother Daniel's figuring out and, and you know is going to figure out as he goes, is you never want to depend too much on some people. Because there's those people too that come along that get you depending on them. That way too, they can feel like they've got some control. Well, you know, Brother Daniel, if you don't start doing more songs that we like, you know, we just might have to go to the other church. And uh, I think our talents would be better used there. Uh, that's And so just never get... You know, never make things dependent on these people. Never have this attitude. If we lose these people, it's just done. No, always be willing and ready to work without somebody because you never know when that's going to happen. And so remember it on this day, June, whatever, 2021, when those people leave, Pastor Tommy called it and, and you all will know why. You all will know why that happened. And you say, well, how, how do you know it's going to happen? Because you know what? History always repeats itself. I've seen this kind of thing over and over again. Uh, it's more common in big churches. Okay, we're not we're not that big yet, but as as we get big, as soon as people see it as prestigious to play in this church, those people will come. Okay, those people will come. I think we're a little ways from being a prestigious place to play, but who knows? All right, who who knows? I, I, that that day might come. When it does, watch out for these people. But that wasn't in my notes, and so I lost my spot. But uh, So verse 14. Verse 14 says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay. So again, if there's somebody that's in the church. Now notice he said note that man. He didn't say mark them. He said, note that man and have no company with him. Okay? When you have that person that comes in the church and they're just kind of a drain, they're just hindering things, they're, maybe they're just discouraging you, that's somebody that you're not going to want to be as close to. Now, we should want to... One of the reasons... It is good to be close to people in the church. And that closeness is often what motivates us. That closeness is often what... Uh, you know, keeps us going because we all need each other and we all, you know, we all want to help each other. So that, that's a good thing. But that person who just comes in the church, this is kind of that drain that doesn't want to contribute, that just wants to be a pain in the neck. You need to just kind of make a note in your mind. I don't want to get close to this person. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to mark them, but I'm noting them in my mind. I'm going to keep my distance from this person. You know, maybe I'm going to back away from them. And until they get their act together, we're just not going to be close. Because it says, have no company. It says, and count them not as an enemy. Don't be attacking them. Don't be beating them up. Don't be gossiping about them in the church. Don't be doing that kind of thing. No, this is for you personally. Hey, just, I'm going to keep my distance from this person until they stop acting this way. Because, you know, I'm coming to church. I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to do something for the Lord. I'm trying to do some work. But this person, all they want to do is come to me and gossip about everybody in the church. No, keep, keep your distance from that person. And then, and this is, this was what always happens to these people too. 
you know, because I think most of the time we don't even have to tell people to do this. Sometimes we do because a lot of times we're like overly merciful and those people that are just kind of rotten in the church, we want to give them more attention, you know, to try to help them. But no, if they're bringing you down, if they're bringing this church down, you just need to withdraw, withdraw yourself. And what often happens, churches do this and then those people who are just a drain, they don't contribute, they just bring everybody down, they have this attitude of, I don't know why I just don't have any friends in the church. Well, you know, maybe... If you were friendly, you would have some friends. Maybe if you were contributing to the work that's being done here, you would have some friends. You want to know why a lot of the people are as close as they are in this church? It's because they they work together. They don't just sit in the pews together, the chairs together. They work together. They go out soulening with each other. That's a great opportunity to get to know people. You know, I I, I think that's a fantastic thing. It's it, and. If, but if you show up for church two minutes late every Sunday, you run out the door as soon as service is over, you're not going to get close to anybody. You know, you're allowed to get to church early. You're, and you're allowed to stay a little a little bit late after church. Not, not too late, you know, but a little bit. That's okay. That's okay to do that. We need that. And a lot of, a lot of people that do that, they end up getting a closeness and we're encouraged by that type of thing. And, uh, when, when people do, when they, when they're getting out of line and there's being a pain, you need to withdraw yourself. And, but at the same time, they're not your enemy. You want to admonish them as a brother. It's like, Hey, you know, it should be our prayer. You know, if you talk to them, Hey, I want to see you get right. But you know, you need to, you need to drop this attitude. You're bringing me down. I'm sorry, but every time I talk to you, it's just, you know, there, there's people out there that I know that. There's preachers out there that I know that, I mean, they're just, they are such a storm cloud that when they talk to you, I mean, I've got people that, you know, every great, great once in a while call me up and man, when I see their name come up my caller ID, I'm like, oh, great. A strong case of depression is about to set in because after you get off the phone with them, you're just like, good night. You know, there was one preacher that I used to be friends with. That was like that. Every time he got around him, he was always telling you about who was going liberal and who was, you know, having problems in this area and whose wife's wearing pants now and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, you know, I, you know, the last time I went over to his house, he was like, you know, I had mentioned some pastor that that I knew of that was starting a church somewhere, and you know, I was, you know, I was like, I hope it goes good, and you know, and uh, but at the same time too, it was one of those things where you're kind of wondering what direction he was planning on going, and somehow that came up in the conversation. He's like. Oh, you want to know which direction he's probably going? And then he pulls out his phone and he like had a picture like saved on his phone, you know, of him and his wife, you know, and his wife's in pants. And I'm just like, I don't want to see that. You know, we left the house that night and I was just like so discouraged. I'm like, good night. What a downer. And we're not friends anymore because that guy turned out to be a pervert. But anyway, uh, you know, just I'm telling you, people like that. You know they're they're not good, and I could I, I man I could start just naming some of these people and I and I'm not kidding I'm not I'm not lying. When I know they're trying to call me, I know if I answer this phone, I will get depressed, and that's not good. You know I want to help people, but I don't want them I don't want them hindering my work either, and we need to we need to keep that in mind, and so. You know, if people are just going to be a drain, if they're not going to cooperate with what's going on in here at the church, don't waste 
your time with them. You know, keep loving them, make it easy for them to get right, but don't waste your time with them. Okay? Don't don't wait don't waste your time and just overly exert yourself trying to get these people right. It's just not gonna it's not gonna do you any good. You just need to say, you know, I need to focus on serving the Lord. I'm ultimately here for Him. And you're hindering that. You're stopping that. And so, and two, and so when he's talking about walking disorderly, again, these are people that are kind of being a drain. And there's a lot of ways they can do that. You got some people too that are just always at conflict with everything in the church. You know, you should get involved with the program of this church. That, that should be your attitude. You know, you should want the things that we do, whatever the activity is, whatever events we're planning, you should want them to succeed. You should help them to succeed. Whenever we're planning a big day, and I've seen people do this before, if we're planning a big day here at the church, that's not time, you know, or like on a Saturday, we're going to do a big soul and push or something. Don't plan a big picnic that day at your house, you know, where you're taking our people that would have been doing the work. And, you know, if, if th- that's not good, you want to, you're supposed to contribute to what we're doing here. And you ought to keep the, be sensitive to that type of thing. And, you know, if you know there's something major going on at the church, that's not a time to plan something where you're going to take people out of the church. That's, that's not a good attitude to have. But those type of, this type of people we've been talking about tonight, that's what, what they typically do. You know, all that, you know, every time, I've, I've gone to church with these people for years, every time you plan a big Sunday, you know, that's, so that's their week, they're going to, they're going to go on vacation. Really, you plan your, your vacations that short in advance. It's like they wait for you to put something in the bulletin. That's what I'm going to plan this. No, don't, don't do that. Help the, help things succeed, you know, because it's discouraging. You know, as a church, we do, we like when there's unity. We like seeing everybody participate, and especially as a pastor, you know, you want that. You don't want to see division in the church, but there's some people that always want to do that. So verse 16 says, now the Lord of peace uh, himself give you peace always, by all means, the Lord be with you all. And you know, while the IFB prays for the peace of Jerusalem, we should pray for the peace of our brethren, especially the ones being persecuted. That should be our prayer. So the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. And notice that because if you read all of Paul's epistles, you know what the first word is in all of them? Is Paul. That's one of the ways we know it's Paul's epistle. He said, that's a token. That's like his little signature, something that he does so people would know that it was his epistle. We see in chapter 2, remember what he said in chapter 2, verse 2? He said that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. Is that the day of Christ is at hand. A lot of people think that you know, maybe somebody wrote a letter in Paul's name you know, trying to deceive these people. But Paul said a token that I wrote the letter is my name, Paul. And that's one of the reasons, too, that most people don't believe. And the reason I, I guess I typically lean towards the idea that he did not write the book of Hebrews, even though it seems like he did. I've heard some people say that it was actually written by Timothy under the direction of the Apostle Paul, which would kind of make sense why it seems like it's Paul, but it wasn't necessarily you know, written by Paul. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, um, the Apostle Paul did say this is the token of every epistle. So we should expect to, uh, to see that if it's his writing. So verse 18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 
Amen. So if we could just get one thing out of both of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians is that we should try to have the same love and concern for those that we reach with Christ, uh, for those who we reach for Christ and those who are just trying to do right. We ought to have their backs and send them encouragement. There should be a genuine concern. There is no doubt the Apostle Paul had a genuine concern. He wrote two letters to these people because he knew what was going on. If you know somebody's going through a difficult time, you know what? I mean, thank God you know, we've got texting, we've got you know, messaging, we've got all those things. Uh, it's so much easier to communicate with people today. You know what? Send them some encouragement. I'm thankful for the people that have done that with me. And even just even just this week, I've had several people that have just hey, sending me encouragement. That means a lot. Sending my wife encouragement. That means a lot. When people need that. And if you know somebody's going through a battle, you know, if you care, you will do that. You'll you're, nobody will have to tell you to do that. If you actually care, you'll just naturally do that kind of thing. And you say, well, I don't know who to encourage. Well, it's, then that just means you're not thinking about anybody else. That means you're really focused on yourself and you should probably expand your world and be introduced to the fact that there's other people on this world. And they're doing work for the Lord too and we need them. Does anybody want to, does anybody want to be by themselves in this thing? You know, we should be an encouragement to other churches that are soul winning. Do we want to be the only soul winning church? Did you know if we were the only soul winning church in America, it would make it real easy for them to pass laws stopping soul winning. But I'm glad that we have free course. And, it's because, and I think it's because they know it would be hard to do now because it would affect too many people. I'm glad we're not the only ones preaching against the homos. I'm glad we're the, you know, not the only ones preaching some of the things that we do. And so when we see those that are fighting battles you know, for the same things we are, send them some encouragement and some love. It means a lot. And I, I believe that that was one of the main motivations for both these letters that Paul wrote was a genuine concern for a persecuted people and he just wanted to make sure he, that they knew, hey, there's one guy praying for you. In fact, there's more than one guy. Silas and Timothy, they're praying for you too. I've been talking about you and all the churches. There's other churches praying for you. You're inspiring other people. Other people right now that are, are going through persecution, they're continuing because of your example. They know if those people can make it, we can make it with what we're going through. Man, I don't know about you, but if that would have been me going through something like that back then, that would have probably got me fired up a little bit. Like, you know what? I was thinking about sitting out soloing this week, but you know what? I'm ready to go back out there. That, that, and who knows you know, how many people we could save from just falling away and getting out of the will of God if we just send them that little bit of encouragement. And I hope you'll do that. I hope we will be a church that's encouraging to other people that are doing the work of the Lord and, and, and especially the ones right here. You know, you've always got that person, the thing about everybody else in the world except the people in the church. You know, and you don't want to have that attitude either. Especially those from our church we ought to be thinking about. But let's think of others too. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this book and just the wonderful instruction that it gives. And I pray you'll help us to Learn from this, Lord. Help us not to be that disorderly one. Help us not to be a drain on this church, but help us to be uh, the type of people who contribute and make a difference or an encouragement to other people. Help us to uh, just lift up those and help the new believers. Help us to have a real love and a genuine concern for those who are facing battles and going through difficulties. And I pray you'll help us to uh, be actively involved in encouraging others. In your name we pray. Amen.